Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Dander and shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson, will be joining us throughout the show. Now, first up, since the new year, we've been rightfully focusing on the build-up to the Women's World Cups, the World Cup, but not without keeping an eye on the A-Leagues. And while the story of the season so far has been the chaos in the terraces at Amy Park, what hasn't escaped notice is that the club at the centre of the turmoil is anchored to the bottom of the league just a season after missing out on the Premiership by a solid point. What is going on at Melbourne Victory? One of the most eloquent and informed voices in the national game is Network 10's Robbie Thompson, the very man who called the game that night. So we'll try to pick apart what happened that night and victory on the park with Robbie and welcome him to box to box for the very first time. Then we're going to take a look at one of the most fascinating stories developing in the championship, always one of our favourite competitions with Burnley, almost out of sight in the race for promotion. The story behind their transformation under former Manchester City title winning captain Vincent Company is a compelling one. And while it's no surprise to see the Clarets on track to bounce back to the top flight, it's the way they're doing it that's raised eyebrows. So we'll lift the lid on what's going on at Turf Moor with the Athletics' Andy Jones and also ask him what he expects from the club's previous gaffer of 10 years, Sean Dyche, as he's announced to the top job at Everton. And we will wrap it up with the World Cup corner. Edge, um, looking forward to this show, uh, particularly, uh, well, you know, uh, the, the Athletic just continues to serve up great guests. Um, Andy Jones will be no different, but but we haven't had Robbie Thompson on before, so looking forward to having a yarn with him shortly. Absolutely, uh, Robbie. He's got a very interesting journey um, through football with his own career. It'd be great to, um, you might ask him off the top, Rob, um, about France and Africa, but um, yeah, he's got a, he's got a wonderful um, uh, journey in football, but uh, I'm interested to understand what was running through his mind as he called the obviously the Melbourne Derby which has uh, anchored so much of um, the A-League's coverage this year but uh, Melbourne Victory yeah we'll get his thoughts too they've they well and truly got their backs to the wall and uh, they've got the job ahead of them to uh, get anywhere near the finals this year and um, we might ask Willem to kick us off with the news Rob what do you think? Take it away Willem been a big week for Graham Arnold, Michael. His uh, his Socceroos journey continues. He's actually going to be the first manager since Frank Farina uh, to have his contract extended, signing on until the end of the 2026 World Cup. Arnold used the announcement to call for government funding towards a home for the Socceroos and revealed his role will have broadened focus in youth development. He's quoted, I love Australia and I love Australian football and nothing in football can ever match the elation pride and sense of achievement I and the entire setup felt in Qatar. So Edge, it did feel uh, pretty pretty cut and dry uh, post-World Cup that he would get the extension if he wanted it. He said he's been away, uh, moulded over, had a couple of other offers, but I mean, it's Arnie's committed his whole life to Australian football, so if the contract's on the table, he's always going to take it up. Absolutely. Well done to Graham Arnold. He gets uh, his deserved extension after an unbelievable performance. What a comeback. He was, you know, I think we had um, uh, one or two shows where we were talking about maybe Graham Arnold uh, not fulfilling his contract uh, with the Socceroos after the Japan and Saudi Arabia qualifies. But what a comeback. What a what a, a rags to riches story um, in terms of his um, comeback from that position in the qualification period, but uh, very well deserved. And from my perspective, um, you know, those young players that have made their names in the Socceroos uh, in the context of the World Cup, 
um, have done so through his tutelage in the Ollie Roos as well. So he's uh, got an extremely uh, good head and understanding of the Australian game and its youth development pathways. So I'm very, very glad to hear that he will remain involved or if not more involved. And we get to um, enjoy the ride to, the, to USA, Canada, Mexico 2026 with Arnie. And I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm interested in Derek's view, though. Like one thing that we're seeing more and more these days is that uh, that the 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 club coach, once they extract themselves out of the club environment, needs to be a very different style of manager uh, of a national side. Gareth Southgate, a, a good example of not any real pedigree as a club manager at all. Uh, he's really uh, been solely focused on on national sides from the get go. So two di- very different beasts: the managers of a club versus a national side. Yeah, I think I think Pep Guardiola, for example, would hate international management. I, I, Bielsa would be a terrible international manager because these kinds of managers need loads and loads of time on the training paddock to uh, implement strategies, tactics. They need to work on players, change change players, encourage them to move into different positions on the pitch. And the likes of Arnold, Southgate and page at Wales and all the rest of it don't don't have that luxury so uh, these managers have got to have a gift for bringing uh, together a squad of players that are disparate possibly playing in other continents uh, obviously you know a lot of Aussie players play in Europe Scotland in particular at the moment so to bring them all into uh, an environment have to come up with a tactic that just suits the blend of that squad at the time and then engender trust and respect between uh, the players uh, as, as soon as soon as possible to roll out any cliques and get them all pointed in the right direction, and then obviously to take them quite fully qualify, and then take them to a major tournament where that's completely different as well. Where you know Jurgen Klopp had hate tournament football because the games are every three days. He'd, be, he'd hear the whining from from Qatar and beyond if that happened. So I feel like these managers bring a lot of extra qualities uh, in, into there and Arnold's the right man and I managed to get a dig on Klopp as well, Rob. How yeah, I noticed that. I don't think I would have asked you the question if I thought you were going to stick that one in. But hey, couldn't help yourself, could you? Willem, carry bit on. More, bit more news around our national teams. We've been covering off on this one pretty much every show for the past month, but confirmation uh, this week that the Matildas World Cup opener against Ireland will be moved to Homebush's Olympic Stadium. So that means an extra 38,000 tickets will be up for grabs from midday Friday, February 24th. So mark that one in your calendar. If you haven't managed to grab one of the initial 48, uh, 43,000 odd tickets, an extra 38,000 from Feb 24. The PFA have clarified minimum medical standards for A-Legs matches after one day waited 13 minutes for ambulance treatment on his broken leg on Sunday. To the surprise of some, Ambulance Victoria withdrew stationary ambulances from matches in 2018, with one day instead treated initially by an emergency physician. So Rob, 38 minutes stoppage all up could have been avoided uh, had an ambulance been on hand, but they are a, a finite resource uh, in in the country, in the state, in this instance. Uh, so it doesn't actually look like any rules have been have been broken. Uh, and also important to uh, to point out that apparently had there have been an ambulance on site, that doesn't mean that uh, he would have been off the hospital much quicker. That one's just for initial response. You still need another one there that, that doesn't actually act as, as transport. So a, a complex issue, but emotional as well. We saw Carl Viet, uh post-match. Maybe he wasn't aware of the, the intricacies of the rules, but the emotion probably uh, indicates that it is uh, not an ideal situation. 
ambulances are a finite resource to have an ambulance sitting there doing nothing for an entire game. Now, a, a broken leg is not a life-threatening situation. There would have been any number of life-threatening situ- situations going on around Melbourne throughout the course of that game. Um, I think you well described the horror of a snapped broken leg and a crack. Uh, Michael Saponi described it. He was standing on the sideline as well. But the Australian Open was on across the road. There, there would have been a fair uh, few medical experts over there should uh, they have, have needed somebody at, at very short notice. So, so look, I'm not prepared to weigh in um, and 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 uh, and consider this you know low hanging fruit to whack the the club or the, or the competition in general. It was a terrible story. Um, hopefully, he'll get better soon and he'll be back on the park. But uh, yeah, I think um, this one was um, was one for for um, people who are looking for for something to be outraged by. Spot on. I No, Rob, I think you've probably summed up how I feel about it. I hope in my sort of news read there that I presented all sides because it's mm, one that yeah. I'm not particularly interested in in weighing in on. It's not an area that we're experts on. It's, you know, the uh, the delegation of medical uh, resources as opposed to as opposed to football. But he's tweeted, thank you for the love. He's, he's Apparently the, uh, the surgery was a success on, on Sunday night. So he's been, uh, yeah, stalwart of the A-League as a foreigner who's come here. Uh, he stayed for a lot longer than most and he's given us a hell of a lot. So hopefully we can see him return to the pitch. Abroad, Sean Dyche has been tasked with guiding Everton to safety after being appointed Frank Lampard's successor on a deal until June 2025. He's been without a club since his 10-year reign at Burnley ended in April. In his opening address, he said, my staff and I are ready and eager to help get this great club back on track. Derek, he's going to be Everton's seventh manager since uh, Moshiri took majority ownership in 2016. And he's also going to be without Anthony Gordon, uh, who's moved to Newcastle for £40 million. He'd been there since he was 11, so not the type of player that uh, you want to see walking out the door. Yeah, and Anthony Gordon, in, in, a, in quite a lengthy social media post on leaving the club, told all the fans that it was really important that everyone stuck around and got behind the team. And that's as he was departing to Newcastle for 40 million. And yeah, um, we'll talk about uh, Daesh in the uh, stoppage time uh, feature on this show. And we'll also talk about transfers and all the money that's flying around and whether we feel that financial fair play is, is doing its job. And the fact that um, Newcastle have slapped down 40 million cash for Gordon uh, not just like, you know, a total deal of 40 million, but it's pure cash that they've put down. Too tempting for, uh, for, for Everton there. And yeah, I'm sure Dice was consulted and probably said, well, yeah, I'll take that 40 million and I'll maybe try and splash it in the next couple of days. Or maybe we need to, you know, I think Sean Dice is known for rooting out bad apples and, and Gordon wasn't covering himself in glory with his attitude hankering for a transfer, so Dice probably thought it was okay for him to go and he'll try and work with what he's got. But more on that in stoppage time. To the States, their men's football program has found itself without three key pillars. The national manager, their general football manager, and now sporting director have all vacated their posts since the World Cup. The most recent departure is that of sporting director, Ernie Stewart, who's taken up a position in the Netherlands. That means there is no one in position to hire candidates for the other two posts. US soccer president, Cindy Parlow-Cohn has admitted the situation isn't far from ideal, uh, but that it does provide a blank canvas. Michael, is that corporate speak? Are they in uh, in real trouble? What's going on here? Oh, they're in turmoil. We don't mind beating up on the Yanks. Let's have a crack. Look, um, since Cindy Parlow-Cohn was elected in a very controversial um, 
voting contest between her camp and the camp of uh, the predecessors. So um, there is a lot of um, schadenfreude in the American uh, soccer media at the moment about just how they're going and how they're running. They had a uh, an interesting World Cup. They didn't uh, set the world on fire with any wonderful performances or not, uh, but they've had a controversy that uh, would play out in any one of the uh, HBO title uh, dramas on Netflix, uh, Willem. The, they could make this one into a into a ripper. The stuff that's happened around uh, their players and uh, relationships from the coaches and coaches within sort of family groups. So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting time for USA soccer, especially considering that the women are coming to Australia and New Zealand as red-hot favourites for the Women's World Cup. I just wonder if any of this organisational uh, calamity that's going on on the men's national team is starting to bubble over to the women's. It's something to watch, but uh, American football or American soccer, get your act together. To close, Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Graham Arnold, as we said, is going to have a third bite of the Asian Cup cherry in less than 12 months' time. And he's going to need you there to replicate the support that he and the boys had behind them late last year. He said he feels a side are only at 60%. Uh, so plenty to look forward to. Register your interest today at ggatravel.com.au. Fresh off being crowned Young Australian of the Year, Al Mobile's made his debut for his new Czech side, Sparta Prague, or Sparta Praha, in a one-all draw. Ed, you got to know Al's family and, just as importantly, his two best mates pretty well in uh, in Qatar, so great recognition uh, for his work with his Barefoot to Boots charity. Yeah, um, you probably uh, – people can't see me smiling. On, I mean, we can see each other as we record this, but um, when AOL was announced as Young Australian of the Year, I smiled for – continuously for the next two or three days. He's such a wonderful guy. He's the nicest guy. His family's beautiful. They are incredibly thankful for uh, the opportunities they've had in Australia. His mates in uh, from Adelaide are just uh, top-rate, first-class people. They had the time of their lives in Qatar, and uh, I'm just uh, very privileged to have got to know them all over the last 12 months a little bit. And, um, yeah, so Awa is an absolute... Absolute superstar. He's an incredibly beautiful person. And I was um, very um, touched to hear him talk about uh, Graham Arnold uh, in the context of uh, the uh, influence he has over his life, but also the football family more generally, which has been a huge part of AWAR's, uh, the village that he calls it, that has uh, helped him through life and the football family that's made a contribution there. And he made special mention of the football family in the recognition of that award. So AWAR Mobile. I dipped my lid to you, mate. Well done. Uh, as we record, the UK transfer window is fast slamming shut, so we hope that there's time uh, for Harry Sutar to make his move to Leicester. Uh, they've put forward a £15 million plus add-ons deal uh, to Stoke, and Sutar sat out of Stoke's weekend fixture against Stevenage, reportedly due to that offer. Uh, so hopefully by the time you hear this or by the, by the time that we join you uh, next week, uh, he will have sealed that deal. There was an FA Cup hat-trick for Sam Kerr in Chelsea's 3-2 win over Liverpool. Uh, that puts them into the last 16 where they're going to meet Arsenal of all sides. Uh, they had a 9-0 win over Leeds, a goal there to Caitlin Ford. Uh, and Rob, to close, we uh, we couldn't skip off without touching on the Pararoos who are going to kick off a huge 2023 for our national teams. Uh, they're on this Saturday on home soil for the first time since pre-COVID uh, against the US at Chroma Park. Uh, we're 10th in the world, they're 4th. Uh, and for the first time... Uh, we are going to be able to watch our boys live and free, uh, streamed on 10 play from 2.45 p.m. Eastern uh, for a 3 p.m. kickoff. 
Yeah, that's bloody brilliant. Of course, the Pararoos, the either side, uh, representing largely uh, people who live with cerebral palsy, as my beautiful little Alexander about to turn 18 in a couple of weeks' time does. Uh, little, it's just wonderful. Little. He, well, compared to a lot of other 18-year-olds, he is, but he's a big fella now. School captain, mind you, this year in his, uh, in his final year at school. But no, it's fantastic. Inclusivity uh, in Australia is uh, uh, going ahead in leaps and bounds. I mentioned the Australian Open in the context of uh, uh, Amy Park and the ambulance story recently but uh, but they they had a, a wonderful inclusivity day and football australia um you know i'm going to borrow edges uh, uh uh words and say i take my lid off uh, to to you for for really putting uh, the pararoos out there front and center and and, and being wonderful examples and wonderful leaders so uh, get on to 10 play and watch it when it's on uh, in the coming weeks okay well well done derek Edge, thank you. Uh, stick around after the break. We're going to talk to Robbie Thompson. It's been a couple of years he's been back in Australia commentating on the A-League alongside our good mate Simon Hill, and uh, he does a bloody brilliant job. He was there that night at Amy Park when things uh, went crazy. We're going to talk to him about the victory, what went on, and where to from here next on box to box It's Chemist Warehouse time. And now last week, I was counting down the days to, uh, to Valentine's Day. It's not that long to go before Valentine's Day because uh, we all know that we need to get out there to Chemist Warehouse and buy our fragrances and enjoy huge discounts off the entire range, up to 80% off recommended retail prices, Michael. Unbelievable. Prices are good in Thailand, but not as good as they are at Chemist Warehouse. No, no, I know Willem goes there regularly because he's got he's got a, a big shopping list for his Valentine's Day presents. He sure does. I'm sure he'll be down there getting the Calvin Klein Eternity Intense for Eternity for Women, 100 mils, eau de toilette, $32, $62 off the recommended retail. Pretty good. Mm. And while you're down there, buy some of the Intense for Men, $39.99. That's 55 bucks off retail. I haven't had the chance to see you face-to-face, but I'm sure you're smelling beautiful, Willem. It'll smell even better if you get some of that Calvin Klein. No, well, that's the uh, that's the trick of Chemist Warehouse. Rob, everyone likes to save a bit of coin here and there, but they uh, manage to get you smelling just as good as someone who spends a lot of money on fragrances. Not required <laughs> when you go to Chemist Warehouse and see those lovely smiling faces in those crisp blue shirts. See, well, I'm just getting better with his ad-libbing, isn't he? Just a couple of examples of the incredible savings you can get at Chemist Warehouse. And as I said, with Valentine's Day not far away, now's the time to buy a shop for products online, in-store, via click and collect today. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every single day. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, as we said off the top of the show, since the new year, we've been quite rightly focusing on the build-up to the Women's World Cup and keeping an eye on all the stories around the men's and women's A-League. Obviously, the story that uh, has captivated attention across Australia within football and outside of it's the uh, chaos in the terraces at Amy Park. Uh, but what hasn't escaped the close observers notice is the fact that the team that's in the middle of all that, the Melbourne Victory, who missed out on last year's premiership by a solitary point, are now anchored to the bottom of the ladder. So amongst a few other A-League stories we want to get through, for the first time, uh, we welcome to Box to Box one of the most eloquent and informed voices in the National Game Network, Robbie Thompson. How are you, Robbie? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure. Not at all, not at all, mate. And uh, look, uh, we're loving your work on Paramount Plus. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we're uh, we're all watching um, patiently, sometimes impatiently, as the technical glitches sort of unravel. But uh, uh, the quality of, of what the broadcast team's putting out uh, is is second to none, and it's improved vastly over the last few years. And uh, 
um, and, and and your personal contributions have certainly made a, a big difference to that. So, Robbie, like football fans, obviously those who are listening to, to our show clearly are that. Um, uh, they know a bit about your story. You, you had a uh, you dipped your toe into the waters of the A League under the old Foxtel era, but uh, but most of your career as a Canberra boy born and bred, spent some time in Melbourne as well, watching from uh, the terraces at uh, um, at South Melbourne. Um, but you you spent a lot of your time in France. So just give us the snapshot of, of that story and how, how it came about before we, we get stuck into other matters, mate. Okay. Well, I, I headed overseas. I was working part-time um, at SBS down in Melbourne on Toyota World Sports, and it wasn't really going anywhere, and there were a few... Um, I felt that I needed to get closer to football and, and live it a little bit more profoundly, if you like. So um, I upped, grabbed my swag and headed to Paris where my sister had lived previously. Um, so I had one contact there. I managed to find an apartment. I got a job in a pub, um, ran out of money, uh, got another job with Eurosport. Um, start, and that was really where my European adventure started. So this is in 2000, 2001. Um, working on motorsports at Eurosport when I got my f- foot in the door and kept asking to move on to football, move on to football, move on to football. Um, finally, that happened. In 2004, I started commentating um, football f- uh, in Africa on an African pay TV channel um, that recorded, that commentated football in English, French and Portuguese. Um, quite the experience. Um and that saw me go to Egypt for the Africa Cup of Nations, which was an incredible, incredible experience. A great Egypt side, um, Cote d'Ivoire with Drogba. Um, Africa Cup of Nations is a remarkable tournament. If anyone ever gets the chance to go, it is pure, pure emotion. Um, sporting, football, emotion, it's spectacular. Came back, um, did Euro 2008 with SBS. Stop me if I'm going too long. That's where I met Martin Tyler. Martin Tyler then recommended me to Fox for the Asian Cup in 2010 in Qatar um, because he couldn't do it. Fox asked him to do it and he said, well, you've got this Australian kid over here who can, who I'm sure would like to do it. So that was how I met Fox. Um, and then a year later, I came back to do those two years of the A-League. Um, then I got an offer to go back to Europe um, with PSG which and to commentate the Ligue 1. Um, which if it had just been to commentate Ligue 1, I'm not sure I would have just gone back for that, but the, the, the opportunity to go back and work for what was clearly going to become a superpower of, of, of the game um, just through its sheer financial backing was something I couldn't refuse. So I spent the next nine years uh, commentating Ligue 1 football. So Aussie fans of, of football would have heard me, you know, on the A-League, during that period when Western Sydney started and Del Piero, um, and then on Ligue 1. Ligue 1 football, bit of Champions League. I went to every World Cup from 2010, working in various on the the official world feed um, for those, which were great. I went to the World Cup final in 2010. I was there at the World Cup final in 2018. So for, for all those years, for nine years, I was just living the dream if you like, in in France and Europe, um, travelling around with PSG with the best players in the world, going to the biggest games, um, crippling heartbreak every year in the Champions League, which was really something (laughs) um, pretty spectacular, but an incredible experience. And then um, PSG just kept, and are still, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Um, it's hard to keep up for so for so intense a, a rhythm. Um, they demand a lot out of you. It's incredible. But after nine years, I got a phone call from from Andy Harper and and Jeffrey Bullock, who's the exec producer at, at Network Ten, saying, "Look, we're relaunching the A League. It's hit. We've hit rock bottom." We want to, it's changing, Paramount Plus are, are taking over. This is going to be something big and we'd love you to be, a, to be a part of it. And it was sort of a whole series of factors. I just thought, look, you know, why not? Why not come back? I still love the game. I'm Australian, even though I've spent most of my adult life overseas. Um, the accent gives that away. Um, and it was just a, an opportunity to come back and, and give something back to the sport that's given me so much of my career and so many great moments and try and, and, you know, share a bit of that and also try and inspire some other people to get the same out of the sport that I got out of it, because it's an untapped goldmine in Australia of, of massive potential that we just can't seem to get right. And one day we will, and it will just blow everything out of the water and people will be able to do what I did here in Australia, and that will be spectacular. Moving on to football, mate. After you know, hearing your uh, you know wonderful uh, life story in football so far, we're in the here and now, and uh, uh, talking about um, going from one extreme to the other. Where you come back uh, a season ago, and 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 the highs of a, a new broadcaster and a new broadcast deal, and the excitement of the uh, of the the breakaway of the, of the APL from from uh, head office. And, and we see one of the lowest of the low moments uh, in the terraces at Amy Park. Uh, stories go around the world and, uh, and we've covered that. We all have covered it um, chapter and verse. But w- what hasn't been discussed as much is, is just what's happening to Melbourne victory off the, on the park with uh, Tony Popovich. Uh, they, as I said, off the top, they were, they were uh, within a whisker of winning the premiership last year and now they're anchored to the bottom, even with a game in hand. Uh, from the teams above them should they they win their their next game so what's your interpretation of of this uh story for victory on the park um and and is there a way out of it in the short term for this season i think they've got the squad that can still do it it is very tight the league is very tight they are what they're four points adrift now at the bottom um that's that's starting to get bridge too far kind of territory i mean we don't have that many matches it's you can say, look, we're only halfway through the season. So in theory, they should be able to turn around. But there's only 13 matches or less now. There's, there's 12 matches left to try and um, make it into that top six. So, look, it is tight. It is it is possible. The question is, when things go against you, um, and I've seen this time and time again, and everyone has that watches enough football, there are things that you just can't explain or you can explain, but it's... It's all on little details and it's all little balances. And when things go against you and things like confidence within a squad because you haven't managed a situation properly, when an injury to someone like Luis Nani, um, when you have what happened in the terraces at the Melbourne Derby, when you have your crosstown rivals doing so well, it adds pressure. And all these elements can even to a, a vastly the most experienced coach in the competition like Tony Popovich, um, they can make things difficult. There have been some important changes. Sometimes they play with, you know, with three at the back, with Guerrier. Those changes, you need to work on your balance. Um, we've seen Josh Berlante playing at, at right back this season um, because of personnel issues. We've 
you know, Nick D'Agostino wasn't scoring like he did last year. Now he's gone. Fornaroli has come in mid-season. All these, this is not a, a, a smooth sailing sea for, for Melbourne victory this season, on or off the park. And I think they can do it because I think they have the quality. We still haven't seen the best of Jake Brimmer this season. Hopefully, you know, that will come maybe in a change of position if he can play that more advanced role in midfield. Um, but all these things, it's all these little things that people from the outside, and I'm on the outside here, I've, I've, you know, that it's hard to gauge how important on a playing squad and the, the, the role of Tony Popovich and if his message is getting across again, all of those things are hard to gauge from the outside. And I, I'm not trying to cop out and say, you know, that they can't do it or it's, it's, they need to change the coach or they need to, you know, rip up the plan and start all over again. It, I'm not going to say that because, you know, I've got respect for the players and the, and the coaching staff and everyone that's working hard as well. And sometimes it is just you've just got to keep plugging away and hope that you turn the corner. I mean, sooner or later, that playing squad will turn the corner. And then it's a question of harnessing that, harnessing that one victory and go for two, which they couldn't do last weekend, and then, and then try and go for three. And then, and then once that side is on its way, you'll see, like last year, I think they went six games, six wins in a row after, after a run of four or five without a win. They can do it, but they've got to, it's got to happen sooner or later. There's only 12 games left. Robbie, there's a lot happening off the field, um, not to mention the whole process around the pitch invasion, which, you know, you were commentating at the time. Uh, I, I just, my first question is, um, as that unfolded and you were finding, you were looking and searching for words to describe, uh, I imagine you were thinking um, straight away of the gravity of the of the actual incidents that were unfolding um, was it difficult to choose the right words in that moment? Was it just something? I know um, as a commentator, you prepare for almost every scenario, but I'm sure <laughs> you didn't prepare for that. Well, we did discuss it beforehand, not not what eventually unfolded. Um, this is what, one of the things that strikes me. I think there's a lot to unpack about what happened that night. For, from a personal point of view, I didn't think what was what happened was going to happen. At no point, we talked about it earlier, we said if there are flares thrown on the ground, we're going to try not to show it on the, on the big screen because we, you know, we don't want to show all of this. In the end, the way it was unfolding, when the referees stopped play, there's no real way around it. So once the referees stopped play because there was a hole in the net at the Melbourne City end, which, which Izzo had seen and, and had drawn attention to because a flare was burning a hole in the net there. So that had to be repaired. So there was a stoppage in play that was going to be a long stoppage. Unfortunately, this was at exactly the moment where those Melbourne Victory fans had said they were going to walk out. I mean, we know all this story. I won't, I won't rehash all the facts. But once, once it all took off, when, when the flare went back into the stand, I thought my immediate reaction was, oh, no, this, this is going to kick off. Just because I've I've been in that exact yep, yep. situation commentating in France, where the exact same thing has happened, where a player has thrown a water bottle, hurled a water bottle straight back into the crowd, and it's just it's just been like a spark in a in a forest fire, boom, off it goes. People running everywhere. Um and it's bad. It's bad when you commentate that. I 
It was all the more shocking for me because we're in Australia. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've been in in terraces where it's where things have happened. I've commentated where things have happened in Europe, but it's the same game, but it's not the same atmosphere as it is here in Australia. And that that's a that's what was most shocking is that this doesn't happen in Australian sport. And it's it's not naive of me to to say that. I think we have a different relationship with sport here than in Europe or in South America. We have a more um, American relationship, if you like, to sport, which is sport's great, sport's great fun, sport's healthy, sport is awesome. In Europe and South America, sport is life or death. It really is. And, and that's... And what we saw, I, I, I wasn't ready for it. If you ask if I had to measure my words, um, at first I was really worried about what I was going to say and how it was going to come across. And in the end, I saw Andy Harper was shocked. I had to just turn on my European football hat. And once I'd done that, as an Australian football fan, I found the words came much easier. I think I, I didn't try and say too much. I didn't go into trying to condemn. I just thought, as an Australian football fan, what do I think of this? And it was shocking. You have to condemn it, but you also have to have to be aware enough that these these people are not, and I know some people have said they are football fans. What are you talking about? They're football fans. No, they're not, because I've seen it in Europe. They're not. They're not football fans. They like. They might like the sport. They may not even like the sport at all. They just see an opportunity to get an adrenaline rush, and so they come. and And that's a rush for them. I think everybody like you, Robbie, myself, who've spent a life in the game, um, grafting away, um, representing your country uh, in your in your pursuits that you do, and um, we were steamrolled by that because we know the gravity of the fallout of it. Mm. And if we're steamrolled by it, the leadership of Melbourne Victory will have been totally devastated. Must impact at least um, people like Tony Popovich and John Dilitzer, the people who are so experienced and mm. such great reputations in the sport. But I don't know how that cannot be impacting on them and 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 having a an impact on the team performance as well. Yeah, absolutely. If nothing, because. You know, Tony Popovich will will be looking because the way he works, he will also be looking ahead to future seasons. You know, you're always looking. At, when you look at your squad today, you think, well, you know, maybe this position or that position, we can we can evolve this. And that involves talking with the club, projecting, looking ahead. And if you don't know where the club is going from, from one day to the next, who the owner... I mean, it was tragic news last year. You're right to, right to bring that up as well. That was... A massive, massive loss to the to the club um, with Biazin. But you know that the future of a club and the ownership of a club does affect all the players. It affects all the players. It affects particularly the coach and the coaching staff because it's a job for these guys. And if you don't know who's running your your company, and if you have a job in a year's time, how can you focus one hundred percent on your main thing? And this is where football is so because you can't just do it at fifty percent. You have to give one hundred percent for that ninety minutes when you're on the football pitch. And if you're, if all week you're wondering what's going to happen, where are we going to be training? Are we going to have these facilities? You know, what what does the future hold for us? All of these do seep in. It's very hard to 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 maintain an impermeable 
dressing room, even if that's the ideal for for a professional football club, where nothing can can get inside this this playing squad of twenty five players and the coaching staff, a tight knit thing. Things do get in, and they they are disruptive. They erode confidence. They erode things like that. Having said all of that, I still think Tony Popovich is the man for the job. Well, Robbie, um, we knew when we uh, invited you onto the show uh, that uh, it was going to be a great chat. Um, it's been every bit of that and more, mate. Um, we, we could expand this a lot uh, further mm-hmm. beyond what we've already discussed. But uh, I think for genuine football fans, whether they're victory supporters or otherwise, they'll have got an incredible insight both into your experience as a football person, uh, your your personal feelings as you saw what happened unfold, and then the the way that it all dovetails into what's going on on the park. And uh, and we're yet to see what's going to happen. Maybe we'll invite you back on in a, a month or so uh, and, and just maybe pick apart some of the things we've discussed. And hopefully um, it, it'll uh, – well, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, other football non-victory fans that uh, aren't particularly concerned about how well the victory going on the park but uh, hopefully just from a football perspective uh, things to improve absolutely be a pleasure anytime yeah robbie thompson from network 10 uh, a a wonderful career so far and uh, and the best is yet to come we're very fortunate to have both him and simon hill as the voices of the game in this country on on the network so uh, thank you to robbie and and to 10 for for organizing this chat okay after the break we're going to go over to the other side of the world we're going to talk to uh, someone from one of our favorite uh, digital publications of course i speak of the athletic andy jones he covers the beat for burnley and and what a story vincent company is developing uh, with that club as they head back to promotion but uh, also some perspectives from andy on sean dyche who's uh, going to try and save it and stick around that's all next on box to box oh you'll be listening to this in february one month to go of summer so still time to get out to the barbie and stock up on those white herbs and spices to add flavor to that final month of summer barbie dishes you can marinate chicken with rosemary and garlic you wouldn't be getting a lot of mediterranean food there in thailand would you edge no, no, not much Mediterranean food. There is a little uh, Arab corner, but uh, I've had enough Mediterranean food, Rob, over the last year to last me a lifetime. So mm-hmm. I'm just uh, enjoying the spicy, good nature of uh, the Thai uh, street vendors and little cafes and restaurants which pump it out at such a reliable rate. Um, but they could be, it could be better if they had a few more hoots and herbs and spices in their kitchen cabinets, Rob. Well done. I loved where you were going with that one. And Derek, um, we always talk about your barbecue art um, out at the Hillsville Sanctuary. What have you been cooking up uh, in the last week since we talked about Hoyts? Uh, oh, well, look, obviously we had Australia Day last week, so the barbecue was in in fine form. And, yeah, there was a plenty of, uh, you know, chicken kebabs, uh, steak, sausages, you name it, mate. It was on my Weber barbecue. So beautiful. You just change the mood of your food, no matter whether it's Australia Day or any other day of the week. Willem, you like to uh, get flavour-packed food in there. Your mum was a, uh, well, he's a wonderful cook, uh, but uh, was when you were at home, and you've got to just sort of whip all that stuff up yourself these days. So, uh, yeah, what have you been cooking this last week, mate? Uh, zucchini slice this week with the uh, the cardamom pods. Cardamom nice. pods. Cardamom pods. Yeah, it's been yeah. good. Um, yeah. As I say, no, I lean on white herbs and spices all the time. Um, I don't feel like I'm. Uh, eating by myself I feel like mm. I'm eating at home yeah. which I'm not you get <laughs> yes I do and I love the way you're saying it too you'll be happy with Hoyts if you get to Coles Woolworths and all the good independent supermarkets that is where you buy your Hoyts sachets stock up with Hoyts box to box can you believe it 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Robbie Thompson from uh, Network 10 there. If you didn't enjoy that, um, then, um, well, I'm not sure what uh, kind of football fan you are, but uh, it was just wonderful. Let's hope, uh, and I'm sure it will be uh, just as good, this next conversation on the other side of the world where we pay a lot of attention to the top flight competitions, but equally we love to watch the uh, the promotion uh, and relegation battles as they begin to emerge and take shape. Not very often do you see a, a team uh, in one of the the, the second tier competitions uh, uh, break away and and, uh, and and make such a clear case at the midpoint of the season. But in the championship right now, uh, Burnley is doing just that and they're doing it under uh, the former Manchester City title winning captain, the Belgian Vincent Company and the man who covers the beat for the athletic is uh, Andy Jones, and Andy, uh, we uh, we welcome you to the show, mate. It must be fascinating to watch what's going on at Turf Moor up close right now. It's been really, really interesting and really, really fun. Um, after what has been, you know, a number of years really, where Burnley have had had struggled in the Premier League to sort of you know survive and have been down there in, in the relegation fights. Um, you know, companies coming in and been a breath breath of fresh air um, and, and just. You know, brought a, a style of play which is, is fun to watch, and um, as you say, they've they've pretty much dominated the championship from 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 game one, um, and and it's it's shown that in, in the gap that they've been able to build, and um, you know, it's just it's it's a place which is full of confidence, and 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 everybody's just feeling good about what's what's going on. Yeah, and and it's uh, they often say that a midweek match at Turf Moor is one of the most. Uh, uh, <laughs> trepidatious venues to go to uh, and nothing's changed uh, right now but uh, I guess what we are seeing and just as a fan and an observer it, it you know we, we can't get into next season because uh, obviously uh, that is yet to unfold but this uh, trampoline club that Burnley seems to have become over the past you know decade or so up and down uh, like you know so the likes of Norwich and, and Watford uh, another club this this time it feels a, a little bit different. There, there seems to be an, an edge and a steel about Vincent Company. Still uh, a relatively young man, uh, but one of the most decorated um, and um, and high uh, uh, demand uh, people in the game. He, he looks like he's he's crafting a football manager's career for for the long term here. Oh yeah, definitely. And and sort of the, when you when you speak to people. Um, even before, even when he was at Anderlecht and, and he was coming into Burnley, and you know there was a few question marks about, you know how he would how he would adapt to, to sort of managing in the Championship. It was a league he didn't really know, and he admitted that himself. And you know a few questions around Burnley, you know generally when he came down, there was a you know a debt that that needed repaying from from the takeover of, of the new owners, and they lost a lot of a lot of players. So there was a lot of work to do in the transfer markets, but. How smoothly it's gone, sort of it underlines and is a testament to how how good he's he's been. And, and everyone when you talk to around Burnley is just so complimentary about his his manager his management style, the way he goes about it, his knowledge of the game. You know everything everything that you you would want in, in a manager. And it does feel like he's he's got the potential and, and got the ability to go to the top level. And you can tell he's been. You know, he's he's learned under Pep when he was being Pep Guardiola when he was being coached by him, um, and he's taken a lot on board. And and while he has his own style and his own sort of you know imprint on on how he wants how he sees the game and how he wants it played, um, you know you can see those Manchester City influence influences there. And yeah, it's it's been so impressive because 
the the massive turnover they had in the summer. They brought sixteen new players in, um, and a lot of the times when it, when a squad does that, it takes them a while to get going, um, and and sometimes it just doesn't work. And there's too many new faces, too many people you need to get your ideas across, and it shows how it's a testament to him and his coaching staff of, of how good he's been able to to implement those ideas on his players and get them sing all singing from the same hymn sheet, if you like, um, as quickly as possible. And and that's led to them, you know, building building this lead and, and it, it, a lot of it is down to him. And you mentioned the the new influx of players. I must admit when I went and looked at the Burnley team sheet recently, I hadn't quite appreciated just how much uh, turnover there'd been, whether it be uh, Tarkowski, uh, Ben Mee, Peters, um, Maxwell Cornet, of course, Dwight McNeil and, and others. Who are the key men these days? If you're going to watch Burnley, who are the couple of players that you would tell someone to keep an eye on that companies brought in and, and what they do in the team? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question because there's so, so many. You could, I, I could sit here and reel off to be honest, most of the, the new signings he's made. I think Anna Sorori's one, uh, sort of, he's played on the left wing this season and uh, he, I think they, I don't think Bernie expected him to adjust as quickly as he has, um, but he's, he's better than so, so quickly and, and been so impressive and he's got the talent um, level and, and the skill, the way he manipulates his body, he manipulates defenders, um, you know, can go both ways with the ball um, at, at his feet. He's, he's just really, really clever as, uh, for a footballer and um, he, he's certainly someone who stands out and you, you feel, you know, he's, when when Burnley do go up because it, it feels like when not if at this at this point even though you know Burnley will continue to to play down expectations until it's definitely done um you feel like he's he's someone who can take the Premier League by storm when you know if Burnley find themselves there this next season um uh, because he's he's just really really talented um Josh Cullen's sort of one of those that, that goes under the radar a little bit um but he was he was with company for two years at Anderlecht um and essentially. Became, you know, I think company brought him and expected him to be a squad player at Anderlecht. And, and by the time company left to, to come to Burnley, Cullen had, had basically become his, his most important player. Um, so it made loads and loads of sense for him to, to, to bring him to Burnley. Um, and he sort of sets the tone, sets, sets the tempo in the middle of the park and the uh, new company's methods. So he was very, really important, in, especially in those early stages of, you know, setting the standards, setting the, you know, setting the, the expectations really of, of this is how we're going to play and, and everyone else can feed off them and you know there's there's so many I mean they've, they've, they've obviously added a couple in the, in the January transfer window Lyle, Lyle Foster's someone who you know looks really talented and be interesting to see how he gets on in the second half of the season but just one more name I'll give you is um, Manuel Benson who was um, but sort of a bit of a slow starter if you like um, you know, it took him a little bit of time to adapt to the championship and the physical demands of it because he's, you know, quite a small, tricky winger. Um, but he became he became the super sub. Um, you know, affected every game he, he was coming off the bench in, and then as you know, has, has moved into sort of that starting role. Um, sort of since you know just before the World Cup and since, and you know, he's he's similar. He's a different player to Zerori in, in terms of he's a lot more speed based. But again, you've got that trickery and you've got that. Ability to manipulate uh, fullbacks to to get past them and and, and create and that that's the, that's the, the you know the, the thing about Burnley squad they've got so many the depth is incredible and they've got so many quality players in 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 every department of the pitch um, and, and that's why they're so threatening and and that's why they've been so dominant. 
And Rob mentioned it off the top, you know, the other Burnley-related story of the week, of course, is the arrival of uh, Sean Dyche at, uh, at Everton. Everton in a very different trajectory to Burnley at the moment. Uh, and let's say, you know, their kind of manager choice over recent years has, years has been nothing short of schizophrenic in terms of what they've gone for, but they've They've plumped for Sean. Uh, he's someone that wasn't picked up straight away after leaving Burnley. I think a lot of people anticipated him getting back into the game quite quickly. There's been talk of him going to other clubs. I think he, um, yeah, he carries around a bit of a perception problem, really, because because of his time at Burnley and the kind of football that he that, that he played. Do you think that's unfair on Sean Dice? Do you think do you think that? Um, you know, uh, it's right that he gets another opportunity and that there's potential for another style of football with Everton? I think he definitely deserved another opportunity and I think he was he was sort of waiting for, for that next Premier League job and I think it, whether he had his eye on Everton um, because it sort of was a club that probably made the most sense because, um, as you say, he carries that perception and when, when clubs are looking to appoint managers at the moment, they're looking for the, you know, a lot of the time looking for the sort of the, the next trendy manager who, who plays football the right way, if you like. But when you talk to Dice about this, and he's been asked a lot about it, especially since, you know, he's done a lot of sort of media and interviews since he's left Burnley and, and that, that idea of, of being put in a box. And, and it, you know, he always sort of says the same thing of, well, you, you know, you can... You can have managers who say they want to play the right way, but the right way to play is to win. Um, and if you're getting results, does it really matter how you're doing it? As long as, you know, there's, obviously there's the elements of entertainment and, and all that type of stuff. But if you're being successful and winning games of football, is that not entertaining enough? It's better than losing. I would imagine playing 600 passes, but then getting beat. Um, I think it's it's basically the way he talks about it. And what what's going to be really interesting is, you know, I, I think initially in Everton, we're probably going to see the same type of of style implemented that he did at Burnley, just because, you know, of the predicament they're in. And, and his aim this season will be to make sure that he gets them safe and by and he will be looking to implement. And it, James Tarkovsky at the back will really help in terms of setting this, this sort of tone of of making them really, really difficult to beat and therefore you would expect them to grind out enough results. And I think I think it's a smart appointment for Everton, one that's, you know, for a smart appointment that there's not been many, as you sort of mentioned, um, because I think he's got the knowledge and know-how of how to grind results out and, um, you know, get the best out of, of what he's got. And, and that's that's what he did at Burnley. You know, he, he, he worked with a shoestring budget pretty much and, and basically had to try and, figure out a way of how to get the best out of the plays that he had and that was by playing the style that he did um and that's what's going to be interesting i think as his time develops and everton if if or if things go well and he he keeps them up um and, and that that because he loves he, you know he's, he's massive on pre-season and being able to get his proper values and, and stuff across and that'll be the that'll be the big question really is can he how does how much does he adapt from what he played at burnley which was you know you know, and there was a lot more to 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 his Burnley side than just booting it long, which is I think is a very very un, unfair sort of stereotype. You know, they did try and press high when they could, um, but equally they knew that doing that consistently throughout the game was was going to end up with with them getting beat. So they had to be pragmatic and effectively they wanted to play forwards all the time to to get the ball up near the opposition box as quickly as possible. And I don't really see much much wrong with that. Um, yeah, it might not look pretty. It's not easy on the eye, but 
you know, kept Burnley in the Premier League for six consecutive seasons and, you know, they were a win away from, from still being there this season. If they beat Newcastle, they were, it was in their own hands to, to stay up. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how he does. I think it's a, it's a good appointment, as I said, for, for Everton and it, it will be interesting um, to see how, how he implements his style. But I think what you can expect, you know, initially is, is Everton are going to become one of the the most frustrating teams to play against in the league because they're going to be looking to to keep as many clean sheets as possible and and try and nick goals here and there to, to win games. Hey Andy, it's been fantastic. Uh, you, you get another one of a rich uh, cavalcade of of, uh, of top flight uh, journos from the Athletic that that we have. Uh, welcome to this show and um, and mate, uh, uh, we've really enjoyed chatting to you. We'll get back in touch in in a month or so as uh, you know, the season starts to really get towards the sharp end and then find out just uh, uh, how I play for Burnley and uh, maybe even uh, reflect on uh, on the uh, well the, the the back end of the season in the Premier League for uh, for Sean Dyche uh, and, and his new role at, at Everton as well. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Andy Jones from The Athletic. Okay, stick around. Walk up corner. We're going to wrap it up on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is World Cup Corner time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's show as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you, Robbie Thompson, Andy Jones. Just fantastic football stories. We're going to get back to uh, uh, the Women's World Cup next week. We've got Nancy Frostick from The Athletic uh, going to talk about the Lionesses preparation as the clock ticks down. But uh, we've got a few more minutes to to bring this home. Willem, uh, what, what corner are you going to kick the World Cup off Right uh, at the very end of this week's show, my friend. Well, we're going to touch on some uh, reporting from David Ornstein, who works for The Athletic. I think we must be just about the only blokes on the planet who don't work for The Athletic at the moment. But he's reported that Visit Saudi uh, are going to be a sponsor of the tournament. Uh, Not FIFA sponsors. Long-term partners Coca-Cola and Adidas are still in place. Uh, But FIFA, would you believe, is going to grow their revenue streams uh, by welcoming sponsors not of themselves but of the specific tournament. Uh, And Derek, I'm not going to spell it out, but uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, through their government arm, government tourism arm, Visit Saudi, are on board the Women's World Cup. Just the sort of place you'd want to travel if you were a female sports person and... uh... Obviously, it's set a great example in terms of rights for women around the world. So I think, once again, uh, FIFA and Gianni in particular have, have pulled another yeah, another porker out of the bag and uh, roll on Saudi <laughs> whenever it is. Another what? Corker out of the bag, I think oh, it was. A corker out of the bag. Yeah, it was uh, a bit of a mixed metaphor. No, that's all right. No, no. Uh, while we're at it, we'll finish on a lighthearted note. Uh, we have a ball, the ninth Women's World Cup ball, uh, the Oceanus, bit of a, uh, a mashup it? there of the Oceanic, Australian and Can New Zealand in there again? as well. Yeah, what are we going to call it? The Oceanus. The Oceanus. Uh, inspired by the beautiful landscapes of two nations, uh, designs by Aboriginal artist Sherney Sutton and Maori artist Fiona Collis. Uh, we're going to have the latest ball technology to elevate match data and insights, semi-automated offside tech through the microchip in the ball seen at the uh, at the Qatar World Cup. So for all the uh, designer spin you can put on a football, 
it does look quite nice, I think, Rob. I think it does. I, I did like the picture of, of the ball. Um, I think it uh, in in the great history of, of footballs from the, the you know my my favourite, of course, the Jabalani, which uh, which had a mind of its own. Yeah, well, uh, the Jabalani was the one that you could pick up at the service station for two dollars fifty. Exactly. Well, you go back to nineteen seventy four, the uh, the Telstar Derlast, um, and how about this one in nineteen sixty two the. It was the crack top star. So um, the brazooka, of course, um, in Brazil in, in 2014. Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, there's always a story to tell and there's always new technology, but ultimately it's a ball and we need one to play football with. So, uh, you know, it's a story. That, uh... I'm still I'm still sort of uh, on the last story, though, because on the last news item that uh, Willem raised in the World Cup corner, even me, Rob, mm. in my capacity as... Trying to explain the cultural nuances of the Middle East, cannot believe Saudi's sponsoring the event that is taking the piss. Yeah, well, there you go. I think um, the uh, you, say. yeah, when you get Edge and Derek agreeing on that same subject, then uh, there's got to be something wrong with it. That there are some nice tourism sites in Saudi Arabia, but hmm. I suggest you only visit them in the months of November or December. I think that's yes. what you call peace in the Middle East, my Rob. Well done, boys. Edge, um, off you go, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day in Bangkok. Thank you. Take care, boy, people. Um, have a great evening in Melbourne town. I hope the weather's nice. And uh, when are you home? When are you? When are you? Getting, or are you going to get Brazilian uh, Thai, Thai uh, nationality? And uh... not possible, mate. It's uh, it's not uh, not available to foreigners over here. Um, mm. No, look, um, that's a secret, and I might tell you at some point in the next twenty-four hours. <laughs> okay. All right, mate. Have a good day, um, Derek. Thank you. We'll see you in stoppage time later in the week. We certainly will. Lots to talk about. As we will, you as well, Willem. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box to Box, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and please make sure whatever podcast uh, catcher you use or wherever you get your podcasts, please give us a rating. It really does make a big difference when it comes to uh, to to the, uh, the, the 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 prominence of the the podcast. And um, and if you enjoyed what you heard this week, please uh, help us out and let everybody else know. And make sure you follow us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from. One end of the pitch to the other in the world game.